humility and wisdom to hear the word that you've uh, delivered to Pastor Joe today. May he be bold. May he proclaim your truth. And may we walk out this door filled with your spirit in the name of your son. Amen. You may be seated. Dad gum you, Al. You always do that. That's really good, right? It's so good, I've decided I'm going to have Al sing my sermon. Al, here's the notes. Would you just come? Just can't do that. Um, That's a great song, and uh, I love it uh, when the band does it that way. It's raw. It's uh, inspiring. And uh, I saw like half of you crying. A good cry, a good cry. And uh, by the way, I'm just noticing... There are a ton of babies laying around all over the place. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. We got babies being born like every other day. It's incredible. So uh, I'm Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here. I'm excited about today's message. We're defining love for you. We're going to define love in its ultimate specific biblical terms. Um, Because really what happens is we think of love often as a quality that is ingrained in human nature. Right? I mean... Animals don't really love. They can be loyal, but they don't understand what love is. Uh, humans are the only ones that can seem to experience love. And we, so we think by nature it's something that humans kind of come up with. And without realizing it, we often define love with qualities that we think would make us feel loved. We don't even realize we're doing it, but, well, I think love is this. And when we do that, we don't realize that what we're saying is this is what would make me feel loved. And we feel loved when someone seems to meet those needs that we have, whether they be emotional, spiritual, physical, financial. And so we define love, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but we just happen to, by nature, define love from an acquiring, receiving perspective. What makes us feel loved? And from there, listen, from there, we may genuinely, honestly, with full intent, try to express that love that we have defined ourselves to others. But it started, frankly, in the beginning with our desires. And we strive relentlessly to become better people so that we can, what? Become lovable so that we can be loved. And we work so hard to express this personal definition of love to other people, oftentimes only to see it unreciprocated, or at least not reciprocated in a way that we think love should be. And what happens? We're wounded. Friendship, divorce, church splits, betrayal. Wait, I was so sure that was love, but now it's destroyed my life. That can't be love. And what happens is we begin to see love going forward as too risky. Fearful. Yet the scripture says perfect love is supposed to cast out fear. So clearly we have a problem. But it wasn't love that failed. What failed was an imperfect shadow of what love really is. In today's passage, John eloquently eloquently defines what real perfect love is. But be warned, the definition is radical and intimidating. 
The bar is ridiculously high. Frankly, it's going to be almost humanly impossible without intervention. So let's look at the passage today. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, or anyone who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, so if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So it is possible. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. A little bit longer passage than we normally do, so the sermon is an hour and ten minutes. The parade will be done. Just kidding. (laughs) We break down each passage three ways. First of all, let's look at the historical. What about men? What was going on with him? Uh, John has a message throughout the, God, uh, the book of 1 John. He wants us to cling to one another. This is, frankly, if you think about it, the third time, for those of you that are godly and have been here for every sermon in the 1 John series, just a joke, I know some of you had to miss, this is the third time that John has brought up the concept of love as proof that you have spiritual life. Early discussions of the love was more specific, defining an aspect of it, but he continues to repeat it. So let me explain what's going on here. This is a style of repetitive writing that the disciples often use. James used it a lot. It's a type of meditative, almost poetic style of writing. With each cycle, what happens is you get, with each pass, you get deeper and deeper into the concept that is being taught. This is the reason John does this in 1 John. So don't be annoyed by the fact that he keeps bringing up love. Didn't we just talk about this a few weeks ago? Yes, but what John does is he says love. Oh, and by the way, remember I said love? Here's some more information. Oh, and by the way, remember when I said love? Here's even more information. So each time he swings by it, He goes deeper into the concept. So clearly, don't be annoyed by the fact that he's repeating this or annoyed with me. Okay, don't be annoyed with me. But clearly, John felt that a deep understanding of supernatural love was necessary for this church to have full joy, to endure hardships, for them to walk with confidence and assurance of their connection to Heavenly Dad. So you guys remember in chapter two, there are a couple of sermons on it. One was called Fresh Love and the other was called I'll Never Leave. Love at the interpersonal level was what he was talking about there. Their love for each other that enabled them to stay together even when others were leaving them and ridiculing them in the process. When it wasn't popular or easy to stay with the church, they stayed together. Sort of like an earthly dedication, human dedication to God's people. And then in chapter 3, he talks about um, a couple sermons that I had there. You, You look like your dad and that we should love one another. And he discusses... Love regarding proof of their connection to the family of God on a more of a spiritual DNA level. Like he's saying, before God, you didn't have the ability, but now you have this natural ability to love. 
You look like your dad and we will love one another because of it. And then today in chapter 4, he goes even deeper with love defined. An expansion of the personal connection that we saw in chapter 2 and an expansion of the DNA supernatural connection we saw in chapter 3, he funnels back to the source of this love that he first started talking about. The things he's been talking about the whole time. He expresses today the results of when God applies his perfect love to us. So that's the history of the passage. Now the theology. What about God? What's going on with him? What's he do and how does he do it? I want to talk about this phrase, God is love. This is a well-known phrase, right? You hear people talk about it all the time. The problem is most people can't really even comprehend what it actually means. It's not that God loves. Understand that, right? It's that God actually himself is love. He is the genesis of love. Love in our world, even in its flawed, shadowy form, would not even have a prayer of existing if it weren't for God's image. Without God, there is no such thing as love. The ability for us as humans to love is part of what it means to be created in God's image. And we understand what sin has done is that image of God that we are created in has been cracked and flawed and been distorted and corrupted. It's still there, but it's really hard to see through all the depravity, but it's still there. There would be none of that if it weren't for the fact that God, who is love, existed. He is the author of love. He's the creator of love. He is the allocator of love. And it is spelled out with some concepts I'm going to go for you. First of all, I want you to see that God defines love in verses 9 and 10 of this passage today. We're not going to read it again. But he defines it in verse 9 and 10. And there are a couple of verses I want to show you that show an example of how God defines love. Interestingly, we go to the gospel of John. Here's what John says that Jesus taught. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Most of us will never come close to that. But that's how he defines it. He defines it in such a way that the bar is so high, it's almost like, well, then I'm just going to have to like people. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to love them. Let's just dial it back a bit, right? So God defines love as relentless, ridiculous sacrifice. Sacrifice of things you can't earn back if you keep working. It's sacrifice of things you'll never get back. You know what else we see about how God is love? God initiates it in verse 10, the first part of verse 10. He loved us first. In other words, he wasn't reciprocating love. He was initiating it. Here's some verses. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And then Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still ridiculously depraved, still sinners, Christ died for us. So God defines it as sacrifice. He initiates it. He's not reciprocating it. God is not sitting here waiting. You show me that you're ready to be serious and then I'll love you. Then I'll send the spirit. Then I'll transform your life. That's not how God's love works. God's love goes into the hearts of people who say, I don't want a thing to do with you. He initiates. He's not reciprocating. But then there's another way that we see that God is love. He bears its costs. If you think you love someone and it doesn't cost you anything, it's not really love, it's like. Here's a couple of verses. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He is the payment or propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For him to love sinners, there had to be a cost. What was the cost? Let's look what the prophet Isaiah says in the Old Testament. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So how is God love? Well, he defines it, he initiates it, and he pays for it. You see, Greek philosophy would assert that the highest form of love was loving something that was worthy of love. The least you can do is love something that is worthy of your love. I mean, if something's worthy of your love and you don't love it, then what kind of a jerk are you? You should love things that are worthy of love. But God's definition of the highest form of love is to love that which is unlovely, to love that which is ridiculously revolting. Therefore, if we are to characterize true love it would be when we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for things that aren't worthy of sacrifice. Ouch. As we learn in chapter 3, it may involve giving our lives. But for most of us, that's probably unlikely. But it will mean that we must freely begin to freely give ourselves sacrificially to those who are seemingly unworthy of such love. It's a problem. So let's talk about the personal side of it now. You think you were depressed now, just wait. <clears throat> I do want to talk about love perfected in us. So think about those in your life whom you love the most. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe a child, a sibling, a best friend who's done more for you than you can imagine. Think about who that is. The person you love more than anyone or the people you love more than anyone. You got them in your head? Would you be able to admit that your love for them is far from perfect? Would you admit even the highest emotional connection of love you have with somebody on this earth is extremely imperfect? So let me tell you how, how we can get past that. So here's the thought. We put this in the, uh, the social media part this week. We are incapable of defining true love without first understanding the depths of our own depravity. It's, it's funny, right? So we strive our best to become lovable. But in reality, for us to truly understand love, we have to strive to understand just how depraved we are. 
Because what we understand now through that is we get, begin to realize a couple of things about love. First of all, perfect love is unmerited. I love, you guys know, anybody that knows me knows my favorite chapter in the Bible is Ephesians 2. So I'm ripping a verse from Ephesians 2 today. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, we understand how unlovable we are, yet when we realize he loves us anyway, something happens. When we understand how unlovable, and then we realize he loves us anyway, what begins to happen is intellectually, spiritually, a light switch goes on. Get this well, church. This is important. Everything about us deserves only his wrath. Yet what we get is ridiculous, sacrificial, relentless love. His love is not dependent on the loveliness of the creatures he has chosen to love. His love is something completely, totally, utterly ridiculous. He is loving something unlovable. It's like, example, when you feed a stray dog, right? Oh, it's a cute little dog, and you feed the dog, and he comes after you and bites you? You'd stop feeding the stray dog. Allow me to get a little graphic. God didn't stop feeding the stray dog. In fact, he gave his son to the stray dogs. The dogs devoured his son. That's love. This gives us a faint glimpse into the idea that God doesn't just love, that God actually is love. He's not a loving God. He is love. And when we truly reflect God's character, we strive to love those unworthy, both inside and outside the church. So that's being the fact that perfect love is unmerited. And I'll just look at the second thing here. Perfect love is unreciprocated. That means it doesn't expect to be loved back. Like, when we get to the point in our lives where we really love someone... And we really invest in it, right? I mean, we really spend the time and maybe we even sacrificially love them, granted by our own definition of love. So it starts kind of from a selfish perspective. But we really want to love someone and it is not reciprocated. What happens? Feelings of betrayal, resentment, discouragement. But real love is undeterred by unreciprocation because it doesn't seek to be loved. It doesn't even seek to be lovable. It seeks to love without being loved. In fact, only with expectations that it will be unrequited, non-reciprocal, and unanswered. True love says, I'm going to love to the most nth degree of sacrifice, knowing full well the odds are 99% it will never be reciprocated. But it doesn't matter. It's not a condition of my love. Luke chapter 6, verse 32 to 35 Look what Jesus says. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Right? And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get the same amount back. But love your enemies. No. No, I don't want to do that. Gator fans? No, I don't want to do that. 
and do good and lend sacrifice expecting nothing in return. Which brings us to the next part. Perfect love is sacrificial. The type of love we are talking about cannot be expressed politically, emotionally, sexually. It can only be expressed sacrificially to a level that is not human. But there are some human examples of this supernatural phenomenon. I have a couple of pictures. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, Mother Teresa. You had to throw that up there, right, Joe? Thanks a lot. Mother Teresa. A life of tremendous service and sacrifice. You guys know who that is? Jim Elliott? He was a missionary. I think he was 28 when he was killed in 1956, serving people that did not reciprocate his sacrificial love. Nenrich Hudson Taylor, a life of dedication and sacrifice on foreign mission fields to groups of people that were hostile. See, they understood and were to a degree, even though it's still an imperfect shadow, they began to understand real love because they had a supernatural understanding of their own depravity and therefore the depths of how undeserved they were of God's love for them. And when they understood the depths of God's love for them and how undeserving they were, it inspired them to humble, self-emptying, sacrificial living. So what do we do? I mean, John clearly understood that this idea of grasping perfect love is central to the teachings of Jesus. All right, I'm going to put a verse up here for you. I have some interesting directions for you. This is Jesus talking. John wrote this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. Uh-oh. Now you understand why that actually means something, because John has been talking about it for three or four chapters. So I, wanna, I want you to sit here by design, in uncomfortable silence for about 45 seconds to a minute. And what I want you to do is I want you to read this to yourself quietly a few times. Go ahead. Just take some time and reflect on this. So, how far removed is our love for one another from this standard? How far removed is our definition of love from the one that John has defined for us? I mean, if his spirit, though, 
really abides in us, while we, not, we may not be there yet, and probably the odds are we'll never arrive there, there should, without question, be progress each day closer to being able to express real love. I'm not going to be as arrogant to assume that I know what you should do in expressing it. But I can tell you where it starts. It starts with loving in a way that is unsafe. Would you agree with that biblically? Would would that fair enough? Love starts with a lack of safety. By safety, I mean personal comfort. Look, I'm not comfortable with this either, guys. But it's not my fault. It's Jesus' fault and John's fault. They're the ones that wrote it. This is my commandment. This is an option I'm giving you, right? No, it's not an option. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So here's what I'll close with. Before Jesus, there was relentless effort putting in, uh, being put in by the religious to making sure they were good temple worshipers. They were good at religion. They fulfilled the checklist. They did a lot of things very well. Jesus says, that's done. Now with the same zealousness and relentlessness, you are to pursue the type of love that I am demonstrating for you. Each day, Dad, I was completely unlovable, and you have loved me for whatever reason. Today, help me to be more like that love. Amen? Heavenly Dad, we're a little intimidated. Not a little. We're a lot intimidated. But we are thankful that your scripture teaches us that your spirit abides in us. And if our spirit abides in you, we will begin to understand what it means to love one another. Help us each day to make our love more and more representative of you. Amen.